29, Province, Capital Mombasa, Ukamba, which occupies the center of the protectorate capital Nairobi, Kenya, the district of Mount Kenya capital Fort Hall, Tanaland, to the north of the two provinces first named capital Lamu, Jubaland, the northern region capital Kuzmeyu, Naivasha capital Naivasha, and Kishimu capital Kishimu, each being in turn divided into districts and sub-districts, Naivasha and Kishimu, which adjoin the Victorian Nyanza formed at first the eastern province of Uganda, but were transferred to the East Africa Protectorate on 1 April 1902. The chief port of the Protectorate is Mombasa Kuvi with a population of about 30.000. The harbour on the southwest side of Mombasa Island is known as Gilindi, the terminus of the Uganda Railway. On the mainland, nearly opposite Mombasa Town, is the settlement of freed slaves named Frere Town, after Sir Bartle Frere. Fair town called by the native Kisongi is the headquarters in East Africa of the Church Missionary Society. It is the residence of the Bishop of the Diocese of Mombasa and possesses a fine church and mission house. Lamu, on the island of the same name, 150 meters northeast of Mombasa, is an ancient settlement and the headquarters of the coast Arabs. Here are some Portuguese ruins, and a large Arab city is buried beneath the sands. The other towns of note on the coast are Malindi, Padu. Kapini and Kismayu, at Malindi, the Malind of Paradise Lost, is the pillar erected by Vasco Diego when he visited the port in 1498. The harbor is very shallow. Kismayu, the northernmost port of the protectorate, 320 meters northeast of Mombasa, is the last sheltered anchorage on the east coast and is invaluable as a harbor of refuge. Flourishing towns have grown up along the Uganda Railway. The most important Nairobi QV 327 meters from Mombasa, 257 from Port Florence, was chosen in 1907 as the administrative capital of the protectorate. Naivasha, 64 meters north-northwest of Nairobi, lies in the Rift Valley close to a lake Naivasha, and is 60 to 30 feet above the sea. It enjoys an excellent climate and is the center of a European agricultural settlement. Kishimu or Port Florence a term confined to the harbor is a flourishing town built on a hill overlooking Victoria Nyanza. It is the entrepot for the trade of Uganda. Communications. Much has been done to open up the country by means of roads, including a trunk road from Mombasa, by Kidwezi in the upper Sambuki Basin, and Lake Naivasha, to Berkeley Bay on Victoria Nyanza. But the most important engineering work undertaken in the protectorate was the construction of a railway from Mombasa to Victoria Nyanza for which a preliminary survey was executed in 1892, and on which work was begun in 1896. The line chosen roughly coincides with that of the road, until the equator is reached, after which it strikes by a more direct route across the now plateau to the lake, which it reaches at Port Florence on Cavirando Gulf. The railway is 584 meters long and is of meter 3.28 feet gauge. The Sudan and South and Central African lines being of 3 feet 6 inches gauge. The Uganda Railway is essentially a mountain line, with gradients of 1 in 50 and 1 in 60. From Mombasa it crosses to the mainland by a bridge half a mile long, and ascends the plateau till it reaches the edge of the Rift Valley, 346 meters from its starting point, at the Kikuyu Escarpment, where it is 7600 feet above the sea. It then descends across ravines bridged by viaducts to the valley floor dropping to a level of 6011 feet and next ascending the opposite mile escarpment to the summit, 8321 feet above sea level the highest point on the line, 
in the remaining 100 meters of its course the level sinks to 3738 feet the altitude of the station at Port Florence. The railway was built by the British government at a cost of L5.331.000, or about L9500 per mile. The first locomotive reached Victoria Nyanza on the 26th of December 1901, and the permanent way was practically completed by March 1903, when Sir George Whitehouse, the engineer who had been in charge of the construction from the beginning, resigned his post. The railway, by doing away with the carriage of goods by men, gave the final death blow to the slave trade in that part of East Africa. It also facilitated the continued occupation and development of Uganda, which was previous to its construction, and almost impossible task, owing to the prohibitive cost of the carriage of goods from the coast L60 per ton, the two avowed objects of the railway the destruction of the slave trade and the securing of the British position in Uganda have been attained, moreover, the railway by opening up land suitable for European settlement has also done much towards making a prosperous colony of the protectorate, which was regarded before the advent of the line as little better than a desert sea below. History the railway also shows a fair return on the capital expenditure, the surplus after defraying all working expenses being L56.000 in 1905-1906 and L76.000 in 1906-1907. Mombasa is visited by the boats of several steamship companies, the German East Africa Line maintaining a fortnightly service from Hamburg. There is also a regular service to and from India. A cable connecting Mombasa with Zanzibar puts the protectorate in direct telegraphic communication with the rest of the world. There is also an inland system of telegraphs connecting the chief towns with one another and with Uganda. Agriculture and other industries. In the coast region and by the shores of Victoria Nyanza the products are tropical. And cultivation is mainly in the hands of the natives or of Indian immigrants. There are, however, numerous plantations owned by Europeans. Rice. Maize and other grains are raised in large quantities, cotton and tobacco are cultivated. The coconut palm plantations yield copra of excellent quality, and the bark of the mangrove trees is exported for tanning purposes. In some inland districts beans of the castor oil plant, which grows in great abundance, are a lucrative article of trade. The sugar cane, which grows freely in various places, is cultivated by the natives. The collection of rubber likewise employs numbers of people. Among the European settlers in the higher regions much attention is devoted to the production of vegetables, and very large crops of potatoes are raised, oats, barley, wheat and coffee are also grown, the uplands are peculiarly adapted for the raising of stock, and many of the white settlers possess large flocks and herds, merino sheep have been introduced from Australia, ostrich farms have also been established, clover, lucerne, Ryegrass and similar grasses have been introduced to improve and vary the fodder. Other vegetable products of economic value are many varieties of timber trees, and fiber-producing plants, which are abundant in the scrub regions between the coast and the higher land bordering the Rift Valley. Over the greater part of the country the soil is light reddish loam, in the eastern plains it is a heavy black loam. As a rule it is easily cultivated, while the majority of the African tribes in the territory are not averse from agricultural labor. The number of men available for work on European holdings is small. Moreover, on some of the land most sweet for cultivation by white men there is no native population. In addition to the fiber industry and cotton ginning there are factories for the curing of bacon. Native industries include the weaving of cloth and the making of mats and baskets. Stone and lime quarries are worked, and copper is found in the Chsevo district. 
Diamonds have been discovered in the Theta River, one of the head streams of the Tana. Trade. The imports consist largely of textiles, hardware and manufactured goods from India and Europe, Great Britain and India between them supplying over 50 of the total imports. Of other countries Germany has the leading share in the trade. The exports, which include the larger part of the external trade of Uganda, are chiefly copra, hides and skins, grains, potatoes, rubber, ivory, chilies, beeswax, cotton and fiber. The retail trade is largely in the hands of Indians. The value of the exports rose from L89.858 in 1900-1901 to L234.664 in 1904-1905, in which year the value of the imports for the first time exceeded L500.000. In 1906-1907 the volume of trade was L1.194.352. Imports being valued at L753.647 and exports at L440.705. The United States takes 33 of the exports. Great Britain coming next with 15. Government. The system of government resembles that of a British crown colony. At the head of the administration is a governor, who has a deputy styled lieutenant governor. Provincial commissioners presiding over each province. There are also executive and legislative councils. An official nominated members serving on the last named council. In the 10-mile strip, see below. History. The Sultan of Zanzibar being territorial sovereign. The laws of Islam apply to the native and Arab population. The extraterritorial jurisdiction granted by the Sultan to various powers was in 1907 transferred to Great Britain. Domestic slavery formerly existed, but on the advice of the British government a decree was issued by the Sultan on 1 August 1890 enacting that no one born after that date could be a slave, and this was followed in 1907 by a decree abolishing the legal status of slavery. In the rest of the protectorate slavery is not recognized in any form. Legislation is by ordinances made by the governor, with the assent of the legislative council. The judicial system is based on Indian models, though in cases in which Africans are concerned regard is had to v.04p.0604 native customs. Europeans had the right to trial by jury in serious cases. There is a police force of about 2,000 men, and two battalions of the King's African Rifles are stationed in the Protectorate. Revenue was derived chiefly from customs, licenses and excise, railway earnings, and posts and telegraphs. Natives pay a hut tax. Since the completion of the Uganda Railway, trade, and consequently revenue, has increased greatly. In 1900-1901 the revenue was L64.275 and the expenditure L193.438. In 1904-1905 the figures were, revenue L154.756, expenditure L302.559. In 1905-1906 the totals were L270.362 and L418.839. And in 1906-1907 when the railway figures were included for the first time L461.362 and L616.088. The deficiencies were made good by grants and aid from the Imperial Exchequer. The standard coin used is the rupee 16D. Education is chiefly in the hands of the missionary societies, which maintain many schools where instruction is given in handicrafts, as well as in the ordinary branches of elementary education. There are Arab schools in Mombasa, and government schools for Europeans and Indians at Nairobi. History. 
From the 8th century to the 11th Arabs and Persians made settlements along the coast and gained political supremacy at many places, leading to the formation of the so-called Zinj Empire. The history of the coast towns from that time until the establishment of British rule is identified with that of Zanzibar QV. The interior of what is now British East Africa was first made known in the middle of the 19th century by the German missionaries Ludwig Krapf and Johannes Rigmann, and by Baron Karl von Dierdecken 1833-1865 and others. Von Dierdecken and three other Europeans were murdered by Somali at a town called Bardare in October 1865. Whilst exploring the Juba River, the countries east of Victoria Onions and and C. were, however, first traversed throughout their whole extent by the Scottish traveller Joseph Thompson Q.V. in 1883-1884. In 1888 Count Astalic the Hungarian discovered Lakes Rudolph and Stefani. The growth of British interests in the country now forming the protectorate arises from its connection with the Sultanate of Zanzibar. That Zanzibar British influence was very strong in the last quarter of the 19th century, and the Theodore Sultan, Bargage, depended greatly on the advice of the British representative, Sir John Kirk. In 1877 Bargage offered to Mr. afterwards Sir William McKinnon 1823-1893, chairman of the British India Scheme Navigation Company, a merchant in whom he had great confidence, or to a company to be formed by him. A lease for 70 years of the customs and administration of the whole of the mainland dominions of Zanzibar including, with certain reservations, rights of sovereignty. This was declined owing to a lack of support by the Foreign Office, and concessions obtained in 1884 by Mr. Afterwards Sir H. H. Johnston in the Kilimanjaro district were, at the time, disregarded. The large number of concessions acquired by Germans in 1884-1885 on the East African coast aroused. However, the interest of those who recognized the paramount importance of the maintenance of British influence in those regions, a British claim, ratified by an agreement with Germany in 1886, was made to the districts behind Mombasa, and in May 1887 Bargage granted to an association formed by McKinnon a concession for the administration of so much of his mainland territory as lay outside the region which the British government had recognized as the German sphere of operations. By international agreement the mainland territories of the Sultan were defined as extending 10 meters inland from the coast. McKinnon's association, whose object was to open up the hinterland as well as this 10-mile strip, became the Imperial British East Africa Company by a founder's agreement of April 1888, and received a royal charter in September of the same year. To this company the Sultan made a further concession dated October 1888. On the faith of these concessions and the charters a sum of L240.000 was subscribed, and the company received formal charge of their concessions. The path of the company was speedily beset with difficulties, which in the first instance arose out of the aggressions of the German East African Company. This company had also received a grant from the Sultan in October 1888, and its appearance on the coast was followed by grave disturbances among the tribes which had welcomed the British. This outbreak led to a joint British and German blockade, which seriously hampered trade operations. It had also been anticipated, in reliance on certain assurances of Prince Bismarck, emphasized by Lord Salisbury, that German enterprise in the interior of the country would be confined to the south of Victoria Nyanza. Unfortunately this expectation was not realized. Moreover German subjects put forward claims to coast districts, notably Lamu within the company's sphere and in many ways obstructed the company's operations. 
In all these disputes the German government countenanced its own subjects, while the British Foreign Office did little or nothing to assist the company, sometimes directly discouraging its activity. Moreover, the company had agreed by the concession of October 1888 to pay a high revenue to the Sultan Bargash had died in the preceding March and the Germans were pressing his successor to give them a grant of Lamu in lieu of the customs collected at the ports they took over. The disturbance caused by the German claims had a detrimental effect on trade and put a considerable strain on the resources of the company. The action of the company in agreeing to onerous financial burdens was dictated partly by regard for imperial interests, which would have been seriously weakened had lame you gone to the Germans, by the hinterland doctrine, accepted both by Great Britain and Germany in the diplomatic correspondence of July 1887. Uganda would fall within Great Britain's sphere of influence, but German public opinion did not so regard the matter. German maps assigned the territory to Germany, while in England public opinion as strongly expected British influence to be paramount. In 1889 Karl Peters, a German official, led what was practically a raiding expedition into that country, after running a blockade of the ports. An expedition under F.J. Jackson had been sent by the company in the same year to Victoria Nyanza but with instructions to avoid Uganda, in consequence of representations from Uganda, and of tidings he received of Peters's doings. Jackson, however, determined to go to that country. Peters retired at Jackson's approach, claiming, nevertheless, to have made certain treaties which constituted effective occupation. Peters's treaty was dated the 1st of March 1890, Jackson concluded another in April. Meantime negotiations were proceeding in Europe, and by the Anglo-German agreement of the 1st of July 1890 Uganda was assigned to the British sphere. To consolidate their position in Uganda the French missionaries there were hostile to Great Britain the company sent thither Captain F. de Lugard, who reached Mango, the capital, in December 1890 and established the authority of the company despite French intrigues. In July 1890 representatives of the powers assembled at Brussels had agreed on common efforts for the suppression of the slave trade. The interference of the company in Uganda had been a material step towards that object, which they sought to further and at the same time to open up the country by the construction of a railway from Mombasa to Victoria Nyanza. But their resources being inadequate for such an undertaking they sought imperial aid. Although Lord Salisbury, then Prime Minister, paid the highest tribute to the company's labors, and a preliminary grant for the survey had been practically agreed upon. The scheme was wrecked in Parliament, at a later date. However, the railway was built entirely at government cost supra, seconds communications, owing to the financial strain imposed upon it the company decided to withdraw Captain Lugard and his forces in August 1891, and eventually the British government assumed a protectorate over the country see Uganda. Further difficulties now arose which led finally to the extinction of the company. Its pecuniary interests sustained a severe blow owing to the British government which had taken Zanzibar under its protection in November 1890 declaring June 1890 to the dominions of the Sultan within the free trade zone. This act extinguished the treaties regulating all tariffs and duties with foreign powers, and gave free trade all along the coast. The result for the company was that dues were now swept away without compensation and the company was left saddled with the payment of the rent, and with the cost, in addition, of administration, v.04p.0605 the necessary revenue for which had been derived from the dues thus abolished. Moreover, a scheme of taxation which it drew up failed to gain the approval of the foreign office. In every direction the company's affairs had drifted into an impasse. 
plantations had been taken over on the coast and worked at a loss. Money had been advanced to native traders and lost, and expectations of trade had been disappointed. At this crisis Sir William McKinnon, the guiding spirit of the company, died June 1893, at a meeting of shareholders on the 8th of May 1894 and offered to surrender the charter to the government was approved, though not without strong protests. Negotiations dragged on for over two years, and ultimately the terms of settlement were that the government should purchase the property, rights and assets of the company in East Africa for L250.000. Although the company had proved unprofitable for the shareholders when its accounts were wound up they disclosed a total deficit of L193.757 it had accomplished a great deal of good work and had brought under British sway not only the headwaters of the Upper Nile, but a rich and healthy upland region admirably adapted for European colonization. To the judgment, foresight and patriotism of Sir William McKinnon British East Africa practically owes its foundation. Sir William and his colleagues of the company were largely animated by humanitarian motives the desire to suppress slavery and to improve the condition of the natives, with the same they prohibited the drink traffic, started industrial missions, built roads, and administered impartial justice. In the opinion of a later administrator Sir C. Elliot, their work and that of their immediate successors was the greatest philanthropic achievement of the latter part of the 19th century. On the 1st of July 1895 the formal transfer to the British Crown of the territory administered by the company took place at Mombasa, the foreign office assuming responsibility for its administration. The territory, hitherto known as, Ibia, from the initials of the company, was now styled the East Africa Protectorate, the small sultanate of which the on the mainland opposite Lamu, from 1885 to 1890 a German protectorate, was included in the British Protectorate. Coincident with the transfer of the administration to the imperial government a dispute as to the succession to a chieftainship in the Masrui, the most important Arab family on the coast, led to a revolt which lasted ten months and involved much hard fighting. It ended in April 1896 in the flight of the rebel leaders to German territory, where they were interned. The rebellion marks an important epoch in the history of the protectorate as its suppression definitely substituted European for Arab influence. Before the rebellion, says Sir C. Elliot, the coast was a protected Arab state, since its suppression it has been growing into a British colony, from 1896, when the building of the Mombasa Victorianians' railway was begun, until 1903, when the line was practically completed, the energies of the administration were largely absorbed in that great work, and in establishing effective control over the Maasai, Somali, and other tribes, the coastlands apart. The protectorate was regarded as valuable chiefly as being the high road to Uganda, but as the railway reached the high plateaus the discovery was made that there were large areas of land very sparsely peopled where the climate was excellent and where the conditions were favorable to European colonization. The completion of the railway, by affording transport facilities, made it practicable to open the country to settlers. The first application for land was made in April 1902 by the East Africa Syndicate a company in which financiers belonging to the Chartered Company of South Africa were interested which saw a grant of 500 square meters, and this was followed by other applications for considerable areas, a scheme being also propounded for a large Jewish settlement. During 1903 the arrival of hundreds of prospective settlers, chiefly from South Africa, led to the decision to entertain no more applications for large areas of land, especially as questions were raised concerning the preservation for the Maasai of their rights of pasturage. 
In the carrying out of this policy a dispute arose between Lord Lansdowne, Foreign Secretary, and Sir Charles Elliot, who had been Commissioner since 1900, the Foreign Secretary, believing himself bound by pledges given to the Syndicate, decided that they should be granted the lease of the 500 square meters they had applied for, but after consulting officials of the Protectorate then in London, he refused Sir Charles Elliot permission to conclude leases for 50 square meters each due to applicants from South Africa. Sir Charles thereupon resigned his post, and in a public telegram to the Prime Minister, dated Mombasa, the 21st of June 1904, gave as his reason, Lord Lansdowne ordered me to refuse grants of land to certain private persons while giving a monopoly of land on unduly advantageous terms to the East Africa Syndicate. I have refused to execute these instructions, which I consider unjust and impolitic. On the day Sir Charles sent this telegram the appointment of Sir Donald W. Stewart, the Chief Commissioner of Ashanti, to succeed him was announced. Sir Donald induced the Maasai whose grazing rights were threatened to remove to another district and a settlement of the land claims was arranged, and offered to the Zionist Association of Land for Colonization by Jews was declined in August 1905 by that body. After the receipt of a report by a commissioner sent to examine the land 6,000 square meters offered, Sir Donald Stewart died on 1 October 1905, and was succeeded by Colonel Hayes Sadler, the commissioner of Uganda. Meantime, in April 1905, the administration of the protectorate had been transferred from the fore into the colonial office. By the close of 1905 considerably over a million acres of land had been leased or sold by the protectorate authorities about half of it for grazing purposes. In 1907, to meet the demands of the increasing number of white inhabitants, who had formed a colonists association for the promotion of their interests, a legislative council was established, and on this council representatives of the settlers were given seats. The style of the chief official was also altered, governor being substituted for commissioner. In the same year a scheme was drawn up for assisting the immigration of British Indians to the regions adjacent to the coast and to Victoria Nyanza, districts not suitable for settlement by Europeans. In general the relations of the British with the tribes of the interior have been satisfactory. The Somali and Jubaland have given some trouble, but the Maasai, notwithstanding their warlike reputation, accepted peaceably the control of the whites. This was due, in great measure, to the fact that at the period in question plague carried off their cattle wholesale and reduced them for years to a state of want and weakness which destroyed their warlike habits. One of the most troublesome tribes proved to be the Nandi, who occupied the southern part of the plateau west of the Maus garment. They repeatedly raided their less warlike neighbors and committed wholesale thefts from the railway and telegraph lines. In September 1905 an expedition was sent against them which reduced the tribe to submission in the following November, and early in 1906 the Nandi were removed into a reserve. The majority of the natives, and accustomed to irregular work, showed themselves averse from taking service under the white farmers. The inadequacy of the labor supply was an early cause of trouble to the settlers, while the labor regulations enforced led, during 1907-1908 to considerable friction between the colonists and the administration. For several years after the establishment of the protectorate the northern region remained very little known and no attempt was made to administer the district. The natives were frequently raided by parties of Dallas and Abyssinians, and in the absence of a defined frontier Abyssinian government posts were pushed south to a Lake Rudolph. The Abyssinians also made themselves masters of the Boran country, 
after long negotiations and agreement as to the boundary line between the lake and V.04P.0606 the river Jubal was signed at Adiz Ababra on the 6th of December 1907. And in 1908-1909 the frontier was delimited by an Anglo-Abyssinian commission, Major C.W. Gwynn being the chief British representative. Save for its northeastern extremity Lake Rudolph was assigned to the British, Lake Stephanie falling to Abyssinia, while from about 4 degrees 20 and the Dawa to its junction with the Juba became the frontier. Bibliography, the most comprehensive account of the protectorate to the close of 1904, especially of its economic resources is the East Africa Protectorate, by Sir Charles Elliott London, 1905. The progress of the Protectorate is detailed in the reports by the Governor issued annually by the British Government since 1896, and in Drumcase Yearbook for East Africa Bombay, first issued in 1908. The Precy of Information Concerning the British East Africa Protectorate issued by the War Office, London, 1901 is chiefly valuable for its historical information. The work of the Imperial British East Africa Company is concisely and authoritatively told from official documents in British East Africa or IBIA, by P. L. McDermott New Education London, 1895. Another book, valuable for its historical perspective, is The Foundation of British East Africa, by J. W. Gregory London, 1901. Bishop A. R. Tucker's 18 Years in Uganda and East Africa London, 1908 contains a summary of missionary labors of the works of explorers through Maasai land, by Joseph Thompson London, 1886, is specially valuable, for the Northern Frontier Sea Capt, P. Mode's report in Africa number 13 1904, for Geology C, besides Thompson's book, The Great Rift Valley, by J. W. Gregory London, 1896, Across an East African Glacier, by Hans Meyer London and Leipzig, 1890, and report relating to the geology of the East Africa Protectorate, by H.P. Muff Colonial Office, London, 1908, for Big Game and Ornithology see on Safari, by H. Chapman, London, 1908, the story of the building of the Uganda Railway is summarized in the final report of the Uganda Railway Committee, Africa, November 11, 1904, published by the British Government, FRC, see correspondence relating to the resignation of Sir C. Elliot, Africa, November 8, 1904, the Planters and Farmers Association, as this organization was originally called, dates from 1903, British Empire, the name now loosely given to the whole aggregate of territory, the inhabitants of which, under various forms of government, ultimately look to the British crown as the supreme head, the term, empire, is in this connection obviously used rather for convenience than in any sense equivalent to that of the older or despotic empires of history. The land surface of the earth is estimated to extend over about area code 5250000 square meters. Of this area the British Empire occupies nearly one quarter, extending over an area of about area code 12000000 square meters. By far the greater portion lies within the temperate zones, and is suitable for white settlement. The notable exceptions are the southern half of India and Burma, east, west and central Africa, the West Indian colonies, the northern portion of Australia, New Guinea, British Borneo and that portion of North America which extends into Arctic regions. The area of the territory of the empire is divided almost equally between the southern and the northern hemispheres. 
the great divisions of Australasia and South Africa covering between them in the southern hemisphere 5.308.506 square meters while the United Kingdom, Canada and India, including the native states, cover between them in the northern hemisphere 5.271.375 square meters. The alternation of the seasons is thus complete, one half of the empire enjoying summer, while one half is in winter. The division of territory between the eastern and western hemispheres is less equal. Canada occupying alone in the western hemisphere 3.653.946 square meters while Australasia, South Africa, India and the United Kingdom occupy together in the eastern hemisphere 6.925.975 square meters. As a matter of fact, however, the eastern portions of Australasia border so nearly upon the western hemisphere that the distribution of day and night throughout the Empire Island like the alternations of the seasons, almost complete, one half enjoying daylight, while the other half is in darkness. These alternations of time and of seasons, combined with the variety of soils and climate,